All right, good morning, Pennington. My name is Gary Moore. Our scripture reading for today is Luke 3, 4 through 6, and we're reading from the NLT version. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He has a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all the people will see the salvation sent from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gary. I appreciated the way you read, he has a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord's coming. Uh, Advent is a season of waiting and longing. Advent literally means arrival. So it is the waiting for the arrival of a savior, the arrival of God to put on flesh. My birthday is November 5th. So just put that away for next year. Just remember that. But what it does mean also is that growing up, my birthday had this weird effect where if you have November birthdays, you might know. If I wanted something for my birthday, there was always the potential that it got punted to Christmas. And I really wanted it in November. And if it was a really good gift, or maybe I was, you know, reaching, then I knew what would come was maybe that's more of a Christmas gift. Or the dreaded, it can be a combined birthday Christmas gift, which I never got at the birthday. I always got at Christmas. Particularly one year I wanted a skateboard because I was very cool. And in wanting it, my mom said, I think that's more of a, a Christmas birthday gift. We'll, we'll wait for that. And I was like, oh gosh, I got to wait uh, uh, two months almost for my skateboard. I would watch the kids outside skating past my window and making eye contact with me. And they would mouth, you're not as cool as we are. And I'd be like sitting in my bedroom, oh, the skateboard. Christmas morning comes and almost cliche, there was a skateboard-shaped gift wrapped over there. I unwrapped it, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles-themed skateboard because I was definitely that cool. And that was one of my favorite gifts as a child. I was like eight, nine years old and got this, you know, Mutant Ninja Turtle skateboard. There is a part in the waiting, particularly as a child, where we don't want to wait. I want it now. I don't want to long for it. I want it now, but something happens to us in the waiting. We learn patience. We learn to hope despite the reality of not having it yet. And in the waiting, that item we desire, that longing of our heart becomes that much sweeter. In the church season of Advent, it is about waiting on the Messiah's arrival it is about waiting on God to rescue his people through a person. Advent is about waiting on the person of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. The Christmas story feels slower than the passion narrative of Jesus' death and resurrection. Even though those take up far more chapters and far more words, they feel like they just move quicker, right? It's moving, there's trials, he's being executed, there's a resurrection, it's powerful. The Christmas narrative feels slow. The songs we sing are peaceful and slow. The method of salvation is slow. He's a baby. We wait 30 years before he begins his ministry. The promise of salvation through Abraham takes near 2,000 years before Christ comes. Advent is slow. 
In the story of Jesus' arrival, there is a lot of waiting. There's a lot of patience. For Advent, in this season, we are looking at three forms of arrival. If you have your notes, you can see it at the top there. Three forms of arrival of Jesus. The arrival of Jesus Christ in history as he comes the first time. The arrival of Jesus Christ in the present as he gives his spirit to us to remind us that he is here moving and working in us now. And the arrival of Jesus in the future. The longing for him to one day come at the end of all things and restore heaven and earth under his authority. Today, we will begin this season and this three-week teaching on looking at the future. What does it mean that we, followers of Jesus, are still waiting for the arrival of Jesus in the future? As Gary read in Luke 3, there is a preparing of the way, as John calls out to us. Let's look at that passage again, talk about how we prepare for that arrival. In the third chapter of Luke, we're introduced to a mysterious figure, John the Baptist. In Mark's telling of the story, it just begins with John. Just John in the wilderness, you know, looking wild, scraggly hair, uh, uh, camel hair outfit, eating bugs out in the wilderness, yelling out to everybody, prepare the way of the Lord. In Luke's telling, we get to meet John one other time as a little baby inside of Elizabeth's stomach who leaps when Jesus comes near. We now see him 30 years later preparing the way for Jesus. He is quoting from what we've already read in service, Isaiah chapter 40. Three ways we see Luke chapter 3. John says, first, Jesus is coming. Prepare your heart. Prepare your heart to receive him. Prepare your heart that you won't miss him. Prepare your heart that when he comes, you are ready to receive him. Layman's term, the Savior is coming. Get your house in order. Get ready. Don't be caught in the cookie jar. Don't be caught unaware. Really, what he's saying is, don't be so distracted by the things of the world that when Jesus comes into your life, you miss him. Don't be so distracted that at his arrival, you don't see him. It's a biblical refrain. Return back to the habits and choices that remind you of the character of God. Namely, as the Bible says, the study of scripture, the practice of prayer, and the caring for the vulnerable. Those three practices, return back to them, John says. And some of you may have grown up with a traditional church grandma who may say something like, be careful of what you do, be careful of your actions because Jesus is returning at any moment and you don't want Jesus to come and you're doing something bad, Jesus to show up and you're caught being sinful and you live your life in fear. What John is saying is not that. What he's saying is not a threat, but an instruction. Don't miss Jesus when he comes. Have your eyes ready have your ears tuned, have your heart prepared that you can recognize the Messiah when he arrives. The second thing we take is that when Jesus arrives, there will be healing. Full stop. Healing of what? Everything. Hills will be smoothed. 
John says, roads will be straightened. As Lisa read last week, in the next chapter, the blind will see, the slave will be set free, chains will be broken, the oppressed will be lifted up. When Jesus shows up, there is healing and there is freedom. It is a promise about what Jesus does. He sets things wrong to right, including things like our bodies, our health, disease, cellular structure, including natural disasters, planet, and forces that destroy. He sets them to right. He heals the blind and he calms the storm. When Jesus arrives, there is healing. And third, he says, when Jesus arrives, after his arrival, people will know that there is salvation. And there is salvation in one name, in Christ Jesus. That when we see Jesus, we will know there is a Savior. When we see Jesus, we will know we are not here alone. We are not set to our own devices without hope. That there is salvation. Not everyone who saw Jesus in his earthly ministry received him. But he died for everyone. And his salvation is available to all. John says, prepare your heart. When Jesus arrives, there will be healing. And in his healing, all will know salvation is available. And this is John talking about Jesus' first arrival. It is also a prophetic look ahead to his future return. And a posture we can learn. So let's talk about the future. We talk about Advent. We think about baby Jesus in a manger. We think about a kid's production. And, you know, the stars of our children's ministry are Mary and Joseph, but most of the kids are sheep. And then we look at that and we think about baby Jesus calmly coming in a manger. But the traditional practice of Advent for 1,800 years, the focus was on the future on what it means that he will return, what it means that we are still waiting for his arrival. We as human beings still have in our hearts, in our souls, a longing for things to be made right. Call that a desire for justice. Call that a sense of right and wrong. Call that righteous indignation. We have a recognition and a desire that the wrong things of the world will be made right. And the way scripture tells the Christmas story, when we look to the future, it can feel strange to our modern focus of Christmas as sleigh and reindeer and snow to think about it in terms of a future apocalyptic space battle of Jesus returning from the sky and conquering demon forces, restoring heaven and earth. In fact, maybe the 1978 Star Wars Christmas special was not that far off. Let's put that up there. We can think about it in these terms of the galactic future, the Christmas as we know it coming together. As we gather around a savior coming as a humble child, we also look to his return as a conquering king. We look to this epic space future. One who comes as John the Baptist says, to straighten all twisted roads, to flatten mountains and smooth out the rough places. As Christian author and theologian Fleming Rutledge says, Christ's coming in glory is the chief 
and most important focus of Advent. It is important to teach that Jesus is incarnate. He is like us. He understands us. He has come and put on flesh, humbled himself and is born a virgin. That is important theology. Christ is 100% man. But in that is the longing of the theological truth that he is 100% God. His incarnation speaks to the longing to be known by a God who knows us and can be known in Jesus. But his glory in being God speaks to another longing. That Jesus doesn't just arrive into Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, but that Jesus arrives into Trenton, into Tokyo, into Rio, into Paris, into Melbourne. That one day he will return to the entire globe and restore all of his people back into his loving embrace. He will reveal himself and heal all that is broken about our world. That he will complete the work He has begun 2,000 years ago. In our longing for justice, a different John than John the Baptist writes this in the letter of Revelation. Revelation 19 verses 11 through 16, we'll have a couple excerpts from it. John writes like this, Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. On his robe at his thigh was written the title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Advent looks forward to a posture of waiting upon the arrival of King Jesus, ruling and reigning. And as Revelation 21 says, we wait for the beginning of a new age, for the restoration of heaven and earth, for creation to be reborn as it was meant to be. As Rutledge continues, Advent differs from the other seasons in the church calendar in that it looks beyond history altogether. And it sets the heart of the follower of Jesus, things that have not yet happened, but the things that will. It makes us people of hope who look beyond the physical into what can be, what will be, what could be. So let's talk about Jesus, not as the baby born in a manger, but as Jesus, the ruling king. In talking about Jesus, the ruling king, some of you may have grown up with a perception of end times and a theology that is both scary and weird. And I want to tell you, it is not meant to be scary, freaky, weird, and strange, although that is probably the reality of the perception for some of us. Let's try to wind that back and put it back into a posture of hope. Jesus is coming again, not as a baby, but as a king. Jesus incarnate as a baby defeated sin and death on the cross. And in the resurrection, he restores life to all. But in his return, he will unwind the lasting consequences of sin and death. Death will be undone. Tears will be dried. And the tree of life that Adam and Eve were cast away from 
will be planted in the middle of a restored heaven and earth. And in a new age to come under the rulership of Jesus, a gentle, merciful, yet powerful king will restore us to the life he always desired for his creation. The good news, as we call it, is life as it should be. In the 20th century, particularly in my generation, particularly from 1995 onward, the idea of the end of all things has taken on a very weird concept of exactly how it is supposed to go down. It's become something confusing, freaky, and honestly a little bit scary. It has changed something beautiful into something that has turned away thousands of Christians of my generation. Point to this theology and this teaching as the reason they've left the faith. There's actually a term for it called rapture trauma. If you've grown up in a church that overemphasized rapture, think of rapture trauma. There's actually a quiz you can take online that says, do I have rapture trauma? Have you ever walked into your house and thought maybe if there was a pair of pants left in the hallway that you said, oh my gosh, I missed it. Everybody else is gone. If you arrived to church too early and nobody was here and there weren't cars in the parking lot and you thought, oh my gosh, I've missed it. It's over. If you went down too early on a Christmas morning and nobody else was out yet and everything looked like it was abandoned, you thought, oh my gosh, I missed it. The traumatic effect of constantly being afraid of missing out on what God had for you, of being less than, of being ashamed, of not being good enough, not being included. Honestly, it comes from two sources. A series of like 7 million books by Tim LaHaye in the Left Behind series. No joke, there are 16 of them. There are 16 of them and there are three Hollywood movies attempting to tell the exact same story. Throw Nicolas Cage up there. Since he's in half of the movies that are made, he has, not a surprise, been in a version of Left Behind. This is, this is prolific in my generation. A teaching about this particular posture and understanding of an area where scripture leaves a lot untold. As human beings, we don't like that murkiness, so we fill it in. And what we have filled in, 16 books of detailed theology that honestly creates a lot of anxiety and fear. Or if you're older than that, you think of Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth began this formation of this idea of the rapture and the fear that comes with it. And yes, Jesus will return and he will bring his people to him, but it is meant to be a theology of hope and celebration and triumph and not a theology of fear and anxiety. Add to the reality that it is faster to scare people into a decision of salvation than it is to relationally love them into it, we can lean on the easy theology, make a decision for Jesus, or you're going to be left behind and have to live through traumas, wars, disease, and famine. And at the end, you maybe don't even get to go into heaven. You're going to burn in hell. That theology is quick, fast, and oftentimes will get us surface results. And we forget that in Romans, as it says, confess with your mouth, the second part is to believe in your heart. To relationally, lovingly have it brought up into our hearts and into our spirits that we are made for something more. 
to be brought up into our hearts and into our spirits that we are worthy of love, that we are cared and valued because God sent his son Jesus and that the good things of this world will last because he will come and restore them now and forever. We have created a whole generation of Christians that don't want to talk about, don't want to explore, don't want to evaluate a theology of Christ returning because we've frankly just been turned off from it and we'd just rather not. And what has happened is we've become a generation of Christians without eternal hope. And if I place all of my hope in Jesus on the healing I want to receive now, on the forgiveness I want to receive now, on the justice I want to receive now, we quickly become embittered or begin to believe that God doesn't have any power at all. In Advent, we learn that God plays the slow, long game. And we may not see that answer in our lifetime, but that there is a promise that all will be well under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is a healthy theology of end times that Jesus will return and make it all well. I remember being told confidently in a Sunday school class at age 10 by my Sunday school teacher that Jesus would return and the end of all things would happen before I was 30. I was told this at 10, I'm 38. Three problems with this approach. One, it builds a theology on fiction, not truth. Books, rather than eternal scriptural truths, become a theology of what to expect. And when a person realizes that their belief is a dramatic fiction, the entirety of their belief can crumble. Two, it creates Christians who are fearfully performative rather than lovingly obedient. I don't want to be left behind in a room full of clothes of my family. So I got to make sure I say and do the right things. So Jesus sees me saying and doing the right things rather than me seeing Jesus who always does and says the right things, who restores his grace onto me, not because I deserve it, but because he is so lovingly and good. And all I do is receive it and it covers me. It creates fear rather than peace. Third, and maybe worst of all, it takes one of the most beautiful theological ideas about hope and restoration, and it makes it about fear. The theology of Christ returning is a triumphal declaration that all that is good, that all that is right, that all that is worthy of righteous honor and praise will last eternally. And that all that is wrong, disease and war and famine and injustice will not win in the end, but that there will be an era that extends forever where they are gone. Second Peter chapter three says it like this, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth that he has promised a world filled with God's righteousness and as John says it again in Revelation 22 now, the river flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine 
to heal the nations. Not just human beings, not just our individual desires and our physical wants, that the nations, that wars, that strife would be healed by Christ's restoration as heaven and earth become one and are ruled over by the loving person we know in Christ Jesus. We Christians believe and have believed for 1,600 years without change as the Nicene Creed states that Jesus Christ will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. This is God's final statement on the deepest longing of the human heart that the wrong things of the world will be made right. It is a hope that beauty, love, truth, goodness will last forever and that evil, sorrow, and death will not. It is the promise that we and the universe we live in are not doomed on our own to either be destroyed by our own means of a planet or freeze one day when the sun burns out. That we have hope in a restoration of all things. As Tish Harrison Warren uh, says it, the final return of Christ is the undoing of cancer. It is the utter dismantling of white supremacy and racism. It is the delivery of justice for the victimized, for the weakest and most vulnerable, whom the powerful have brutalized with seeming impunity. It is the regeneration of dead coral reefs. It is the end of global pandemics. It is the vindication of those falsely imprisoned. It is the weeping of children giving way to eternal laughter. It is the death of death eternally. That is the arrival of Jesus we long for in the future. It is the peace that comes from the believer knowing that in Jesus, all will be well. It may not always feel like it in the present. In the mountains and in the valleys of our lives, the twisting and turning roads, the rough edges that we live in, but the goodness of God wins out eternally and forever. So for us believers today, if we go back to Luke 3 and John's encouragement, how to posture ourselves for expectation, how does this change the way we live now? What I would say is the future changes the present. The future affects how I live now. The future affects how I see the world now. As one civil rights leader said it, If I only believed that our battle right now for civil rights was now and here and a battle for justice now, and that I believe that was all that was happening, I would give up hope because I don't think we're going to win. But I do believe in a God who will return and bring justice to all. And because I believe in that, I can stand in this battle for the rest of my life. Whether we win here and now doesn't matter. I know that ultimately and eternally we will because of Jesus. How does the future change our present? I've heard recently that gratitude and hope are two postures that transcend time. They're time traveler postures. That my gratitude can change literally my perception and understanding of the past. 
of how I experienced it, my childhood, my current work circumstances, what has happened to me in the last year. If I put on gratitude and invite the Holy Spirit to search the good things that God has done, it changes my understanding of what has happened. It can take things that I've seen from a lens of pain and turn it into a lens of gratitude and joy. And that hope can literally change my future as maybe I'm anxious and worried and I don't think it's going to work out. But if I put on a posture of hope, it literally begins to transcend and change the future I expect. So let's look back at Luke again. As John quotes Isaiah, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the roads for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. The same posture John the Baptist and the prophet Isaiah before him advised for the arrival of the Messiah is what we should have today, only with one huge addition. Christ has come and we know what he is like and he's given us his spirit inside of us to continually remind us of what he is like and to remind us of the expectation of what the future will be. So let's change our reading of Luke 3 in those three postures. Now let's see it as prepare our hearts for the return of Jesus. We do this by modeling our current lives on the life model we now have from Jesus and the foretellings of his life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We can see how Jesus lived. And we know that that is the promise of our eternity. And we now prepare our hearts, as John says, we prepare the way by modeling our lives on the life of Jesus. We study the scriptures and we, in accordance with repentance, make changes to our lives to look more like Jesus. I examine my life and I say, where do I see too much of me and where do I not see enough of Christ? And where I do, I repent and I turn. And as Luke continues to quote John the Baptist, he says, give to the poor. These are the following verses. Give to the poor, be fair and honest in your work, and don't use your power to hurt others, but live in contentment with all that you have. How do I prepare my heart for the returning of Jesus? I give to the poor. I be fair and honest in my work. I don't use my power to hurt others. And I live in contentment with all I have because I know that in faith in Jesus, I have all that I will ever need in the resurrection. And I know that Christ will make it all straight and well again. So I give of myself in this day. And as a follower of Jesus, the Christian says more than anybody else, I live on less than what I need. I don't need to compete with my neighbors. Sure, the TV commercials are going to tell me that giving a Lexus is a normal Christmas gift. It's not. I ask for modest gifts. 
and I give generously and abundantly. We have a tangible expression of last week, a missionary we have the pleasure and privilege to serve alongside that we can financially support Lisa to do the work of what John is saying here in Luke, to go and serve some of the most vulnerable and to rescue them and care for them. We prepare our posture. Second, when Jesus returns, all creation will be healed. Not just the blind that come to Jesus physically present, but all creation is healed. The future is one of healing and not death. And so the apostle Paul tells us, we do not grieve as those who are without hope because we believe that all that is good is not lost and that the life of God's image bearers has eternal value. And that because Christ died and rose again, we have eternity placed into our hearts for those of us that call on his name. And so the believer does not die a physical death on this world, clinging with their nails into this earth. That we can do what is most hard. We can die well, knowing the resurrection is promised to us. We can grieve well, knowing that all is not permanently lost. And we can give of our lifetimes, we can give of all resources, we can give of ourselves because we know it is not ours to cling to. And third and final, to know that as Jesus returns, all will know salvation is in him alone. That one day when we all see his glory return in the moment of the resurrection of all things, in the moment of the restoration of all things, that all humanity will know in that moment that salvation comes from one person and is in one person and is by one person in Jesus Christ, full of glory. What this tells us and how this transforms us now in the present is that all relationships, all humans, all interactions with God's image bearers, all interactions with God's creation has eternal value, has salvational value to it. Our lives in the present matter because they matter in eternity. We love the people around us because of their eternal value. We share the story of Jesus. We share his goodness and his grace. We share the story of his one day coming in hope, not fear, because everyone around us has eternal value. The relationships we make, the people we become, and the worship we offer all are eternal. They have eternal value. This gives a depth and meaning to our lives that wouldn't exist if we were left on our own, that wouldn't exist if all of this burned, that wouldn't exist if each of us wasn't made with eternity in our hearts and a promise of resurrection and restoration as we long for the arrival of Jesus to come. If you bow your heads with me this morning.
with every head bowed and eye closed, I want to give you a chance to pray a prayer of knowing Jesus, of looking forward to this resurrection. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to give you a chance to begin that journey with one simple prayer, one step towards Jesus, one step towards the resurrection. If you are a follower of Jesus, use this as a moment of recommittal and reconnection to pray. Jesus, I believe that you came to this earth fully God and fully man. You lived on this earth a perfect and righteous life. But instead of receiving life, you took the death we deserve for our sin and you died on the cross. That you were buried in the ground and on the third day you rose from the dead, conquering sin and death eternally so that we could have the promise of eternal life. And Jesus, I believe that you are coming again and that when you return, it will be at the resurrection of all things, at the restoration of all things. And I desire that eternity with you, so I call on your name for salvation. Will you make me new? Receive me that I may know you and know you eternally. You gave your life for me. Today I commit my life to serve and to know you. Amen and amen. If you could stand with me, if you can, all over the room. We will have our prayer team up here on my left and on my right. And we will invite you to come and receive prayer. If you have a longing in your heart that things aren't right, whether that is the longing of a loved one or you yourself, who are struggling through physical needs, whether that's disease or whether that is just a brokenness in you or whether there's relational issues and you just see injustice or wrongs have been done to you or you have and you're desperate to try and fix that. We would love to pray with you to know the peace that comes from knowing that Christ Jesus has a plan to restore and make all of this well and we can receive that promise in the present. We would love to pray that with you. As the team sings, we will open up this altar as we just respond to God's goodness, his eternal glory. And as we cry out, Lord, that one day when you will return, may we be obedient to that love and grace here in the present. May we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.